Hi, this is Daniel Williams, host of the MGMA Insights Podcast Network. As you know, burnout, stress, and other mental health-related issues are at all-time highs for healthcare professionals. According to a recent MGMA stat poll, 80% of healthcare leaders said their level of stress or burnout had increased in 2022. Because of this stress-related epidemic, MGMA is offering a new podcast series, Mindful Medicine, where each episode we talk with experts in the field of psychology, neurology, leadership, and mindfulness to help explain workplace stress and provide tools and resources to combat it. Before we speak with today's guest, let's first hear from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Zoll Data Systems AR Optimization Solutions for Healthcare. The Zoll AR Boost Solution Suite increases revenue from payers and patients in compliance with the No Surprises Act, while reducing front-end workload and freeing up staff for higher-value activities. Visit zolldatacom ARBoost to learn how you can ensure no payments are left on the table. Our first guest today is Mo Edgelali. Mo has a background in the tech space and in project management. He's also a serial entrepreneur who has worked for or partnered with several leading organizations, including Accenture, FICO, and NASA. In 2013, he founded Mindful Leader, where he currently serves as CEO. According to the company's mission, Mo and his team had identified that the current work environment and leadership methods of a majority of organizations are leading to record levels of workplace loneliness, depression, anxiety, and burnout. In a world with increasing complexity, volatility, uncertainty, and record change, things are only getting more difficult. In Mindful Leader, according to Mo, is examining what good leadership is, what a healthy workplace culture looks like, and ultimately making work a place for growth and flourishing. Let's learn more about that and go to our conversation with Mo Edgelali. When I discovered mindfulness, I started thinking like, can this apply to leadership? Can it apply to the workplace? And then to another huge surprise of mine, there were folks out there already doing this. And this was, you know, 12 years ago, uh, almost 13 years ago. And so when I got involved, I started searching. I saw, wow, like there's people at General Mills. There was cool stuff happening at Google. And I thought to myself, like, if I had only known that there was this other approach to leadership and to business in a way that was successful and respectable in an alternative to what I thought I was supposed to be, um, then I might have taken a different path. Um, and it made me think that there's a lot of folks out there that might also be heading down the same path I was. And so how can I help to kind of get the word out there that, hey, you don't need to be a jerk to, like, to be successful. There is another way. Um, and so a lot of the, the early, uh, the, the early kind of energy was about identifying that and sharing that. And, and as, as we did that, what I realized was that 
that you can't have mindful leadership without having workplace mindfulness. If you only have an, an individual and if the focus is only on leadership, you miss an opportunity to reach everyone. And for me personally, as much as I believe in, in the power and importance of leadership, I really wanted to do things in a way that we could reach everyone and create more of a cultural shift. And to do so, you need to have um, elements. You need common language. You need to have certain things that people could do together, things that people could kind of unite around. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Now, our listeners are made up of healthcare leaders. They might run medical practices, hospitals. They might be physicians, nurses, all facets of healthcare. It's no secret to you and any of our listeners that there's an epidemic of stress and burnout in healthcare due to the complexities of healthcare, due to the burdens of healthcare, due to the overwhelming staffing shortages. Uh, we talk about it a lot in our organization, through our education, any way we can to help uh, people deal with burnout, deal with stress management. If you can talk about what workplace mindfulness, how you envision it, how that can help our listeners, these healthcare leaders, how they can help themselves, how they can help their staffs as well. And that's a great question. And I have been keeping a close eye on healthcare. I think in some ways it's a canary in the coal mine and, and an indicator of what's to come um, in, in other areas as well. And it does, it does, you know, I just feel a, a heavy weight and sadness to think that folks who have really dedicated their lives to help other people, you know, when people get into healthcare, they really want to help other people that often they find themselves in these uh, environments that are um, not not allowing them to bring their full self and not allowing them to, to reach their full potential for all sorts of different different reasons. But I do want to kind of highlight that, that there, there is this also um, this effect and, and folks have talked about it in terms of moral injury where often people want to do good, but, but they're not um, quite able to. And there's a component of that that's leading to burnout as well. I don't think that, that there's any easy solution that overnight is going to, is going to solve this problem. Um, now, there are things that individuals could do, teams could do, organizations could do, society to, could do, government could do. <laughs> so, so there's all sorts of different layers that I think will, will really be required to, to, to bring about a, a fundamental, deep, uh, lasting change. But for folks who are in these environments now, um, I think it's very important to make sure to figure out how to create some space. And so the thing that I really want to encourage folks is not only to think about how to create space and how to consider bringing in these uh, mindfulness practices, but also to create a very, uh, from the onset, a community component where people will not only get a chance to address their mental health with some of these proven scientific methods, but also to create connection, which is also going to help their mental health remind them that they're not alone, to have that peer support, to have the ability to uh, be seen and then see others and, and, and support one another. All right. Well, I want to ask you one last question then, and it, it, it harkens back to your background. So you have that technical background, you have that project management back, background where you were measuring things, you were analyzing data, benchmarking. That's what so many of our healthcare leaders do. They're always benchmarking their practice efficiency versus other ones in the industry. Because you're steeped in analysis and these measuring processes, 
Can you measure stress? Can you measure emotional well-being? Is that something we can put under a microscope and, and look at? Thanks, Daniel. So it's, it's funny because you kind of can and then you can. And I'll share just a quick little story of, of my own personal experience. Um, I, I used to live in D.C. and I lived in this row house that had been converted into apartments where each level is a department. And whenever you go, and I was on the top floor, and to get to like the laundry space, you'd have to go through this corridor where the ceiling was hanging like super low. Um, and sometimes I'd be in a rush. And, and so for me, the stress test was, if I wasn't being mindful and I was too stressed out, I would always hit my head. And so when <laughs> I come down the stairs, boom, it would just be like a reminder, like, oh, yeah, you're, you're going too fast. You're not paying attention. You got too much on your mind. And so I think that in many ways that that we have these kind of um indicators that things are breaking down where we know that we're not at our optimal selves and it's like some of us might might not even we might be just moving so fast that we're not even tuned into it but i feel like we we do know like there's something inside us that knows that hey this isn't something's off here something doesn't smell right something doesn't feel right and i think for everyone we've got these different indicators of when am I not, when is it dangerous? When am I mm -hmm. kind of at a point that my attention and, and my mental health and, and, and the weights and, and all these different things on me are causing me to make mistakes? And these mistakes could lead to potential harm. And so for individuals, I think that there are different things that we tune into and, and that we kind of know um, in that way. For, for leaders, it's quite tricky, right? So in, in one way that they are, there are some clear things that folks could look at um, as far as the effectiveness of, of stress management programs, sort of a before and after controls and control groups and, and others. Um, and I think that, that the key thing would be to look at, at the change. Like you need something to measure against. Um, and in a lot of the work that we do, we do talk about metrics because they're, they're really quite important. And there are some metrics that, that some companies might look at, things like absenteeism, a lot around engagement, a lot around engagement and productivity. So looking at absenteeism, looking at people um, retention, are people sticking around or are they, are, they, are they leaving? There's different pulse surveys that organizations do, and there's a whole set of different tools that allow you to kind of measure uh, perceived stress and, and, and other factors. Um, and then being able to look at you know what what effect does it have in, in, in a different group that maybe isn't less isn't as stressed or if we introduce a mindfulness program like is this going to help and to be able to measure measure that difference but um there are ways to measure there are things to look at and, and to consider uh and for us we do talk about some of those ways to measure but we also talk about um how some things are not measurable and how certain things might even be better unmeasured and so you know if i was to ask you you know measure the effectiveness of this company culture with this company culture right it's it's very hard to do or or measure how how kind the people are over here and and how you know how much more joyful this this group is than, than this group like there's certain things that you just kind of know you could kind of walk in you could pick it up you just need to hang around for, for a little while to just kind of pick up, are these people genuinely like enjoying being together and doing their work and doing it in a way that's sustainable and, and doing it in a way that, that um, they're going to come back to or, or not? That was a great way to end it. So, Mo, I want to thank you again for joining us on the MGMA podcast and sharing these insights with us about developing a, a mindful workplace and a mindset that is in that direction. So thank you so much.
Hey, Daniel, I really appreciate you having me here. And it was my pleasure. In our next conversation, we're going to hear from Dr. Jeff Comer, who's been a frequent guest on MGMA podcast. Dr. Comer has spent 20 years as CEO of hospitals and medical groups. He's overseen physician practices ranging from solo practices to large multi-specialty groups. And he now blends his CEO experience with his doctorate in psychology by educating individuals, groups, teams, and companies on how to address burnout and stress, increase employee retention, and help with career coping. Let's go to our conversation with Dr. Jeff Comer right now. Well, Dr. Comer, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the MGMA podcast. Uh, You and I had been trading some emails back and forth. We'd both seen some alarming research on mental health issues, behavioral health issues, even suicide rates rising during the holiday season. Um, You may have even done some research in this field. I I wanted to get your thoughts on it, first of all, why this happens. Uh, What can you share with us? Why this gets so elevated uh, during the holidays? Oh, there's so many reasons why. So as we all know, stress makes any psychological or physiological condition worse, always. So if you have depression to start with or anxiety or maybe even something more like you know bipolar disorder or any other psychological condition, stress will always make it worse. The holidays are stressful. Keep in mind, I always talk about this, there is eustress and distress. Distress is what we're always accustomed to. That's like bad stress. That's like having your big uh, holiday dinner and you've got your uncle at one end of the table and an aunt from the other side of the family on the other end of the table. Uh, The aunt is a progressive liberal and the uncle is a very conservative Republican. And they are going at it about political discussions all night long, which causes all this stress in you. You just want to have a nice holiday to relax, enjoy time with family. And now everybody is in this, this horrible, you know, polarized political discussion. That is distress. Now, the other aspect of eustress is stress, but it's in a positive context. So you're excited. You've got all the family members coming. You haven't seen some of them in years. You're preparing this great dinner. You love to cook. You're enjoying everything. You're bringing it all together. But keep in mind, your brain, your body still sees the positive stress as stress. It is still stress. It is the exact same physiological response. It's just how your mind is labeling things that that changes it. So you have to remember that even though you could have this great positive experience or this bad negative, your body, your mind are still stressed, which can, again, lead to making the depression worse, making your heart condition worse, making all of your psychological, physiological issues worse. So the key to all of this is to, once again, set realistic boundaries, set realistic expectations. Don't fall into the Christmas vacation Clark Griswold syndrome where you're trying to be the perfect Christmas. You're trying to do everything right. And then you mess everything up. Right. I mean, we, we all seen that movie and we all we all sympathize with uh, with Clark Griswold at times. Um, try to balance it. Try to set reasonable expectations. Um, you know, try to, you know, take the the issues that you're worried about, the triggers that you have and, and figure out ways to prevent them from happening. So, you know, just thinking how you can balance out your triggers, how you can make it um, 
a, a more reasonable expectation. You may burn the turkey. It's not the end of the world. You know, like in Christmas vacation, the turkey explodes. That may happen to you. You're still going to have lots of other food you can eat. But just try to, to not get so worked up over those things and realize mistakes will happen. It's not going to be perfect. And that's okay. The important thing is the families together sharing that time. So um, it, it can be a very difficult time for everybody. There is always stress in the holidays and family. And, you know, this could be bringing up childhood issues for you. This could be bringing up difficult conversations that have occurred or that need to occur. Uh, all kinds of dynamics are taking place. But I think if you follow those basic principles, uh, you can make the, the stress level come down dramatically. And again, if you are already suffering uh, or experiencing uh, psychological conditions, uh, you can try to keep those in check a lot better. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask you about something you just mentioned. You talked about it can be uh, a trigger, so to speak, of childhood traumas. You know, you've got these roles that have been ingrained in you as a child in that family structure. You may be a very successful doctor or a practice administrator, but you get back in that family environment and suddenly you're the... Yep. You're the one who's this in the family, you know, and suddenly you're you're in this old role again. And I wanted to ask you about that because I had the opportunity this past week to see Steven Spielberg's new movie, The Fablemans. It's a very personal film. I, I highly recommend it. It's it's Spielberg. It's a terrific entertainment, but it's also a very deep look at his childhood. Some of the uh, traumas that he endured during his childhood and also um, the uh, kind of the spark for his creativity as well. But I I wanted to talk specifically to you about those triggers, because sometimes you might be humming along. You think, oh, this is go see the family. Then you sit down. Then suddenly you've been triggered and you don't even know where the heck did this come from? And I wanted to, so you could, build up some armor, so to speak. How do we do that? What's the tools or what are some of the tools we can use or equip ourselves with so we don't allow ourselves to fall in those traps and those triggers? Yes. So some of these are easy and some are not. It depends on the circumstance and the scenario. I mean, some of them, a a true childhood trauma, if there was physical or, or, you know, sexual, just, you know, horrible things that happened to you as a child, Obviously, that's where you're going to need professional help to sort through that and to deal with that. So I'm going to kind of set that aside a little bit. I'm going to talk more about the, I hate to use the word normal, but but the more routine circumstance. So for example, um, I, well, I'll use me. I'm, I'm a 52-year-old grown man, uh, practice CEO, doctor of psychology. When I get around my parents, I'm still a 10-year-old little boy to them, and that's how I'm treated. And uh it just, you know, it gets under your skin at times. So <laughs> what I will do is I will think about it beforehand. I will say, you know, they still see me as their little boy. I'm always going to be their little boy. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. And it's important to them. It's how they remember, you know, the happy times of me growing up. And and I can try to respect that and, and go along with it. So I, I think about what the issue is. I think about why does it bother me? Because I want my parents to see me as a grown, you know, somewhat successful guy who's kind of sort of got it together. And they still see me as this little 10 year old boy who's out playing around. So it, it bothers me, but I, I kind of put that aside and think, OK, I get why they see me that way. Uh, I'm not going to let this eat at me. It's not worth it. Th- this is important to them. I want to be with them, have a nice time. So I think just thinking about it a little bit beforehand, understanding why it bothers me 
kind of preparing for it. And, and then, you know, the plans I come up with, put them into action when I'm there, when they are treating me like a 10 year old boy, just kind of, you know, shrug it off and chuckle a little bit. Maybe I look at my wife and we kind of smile at each other and, and just go on with the dinner. That's the best way to deal with it. Figure out what the triggers are, prepare for them and, and try not to get too overwhelmed in the situation. Try to find the good and the happiness that you've got there and not the bad. Again, I'm not talking about the severe issues that may have happened in childhood. That's a whole different thing that, that does, you know, warrant, um, uh, you know, serious help and, and professional help. But, but we all face things like that. Each one of, you know, people listening on the show has something with their family that, that gets under their skin. It could be, you know, habits that people have. They bite the nails, they chew their food too loud, they, you know, all kinds of different things that, that can get under our skin, irritate us. And the, the best thing is to prepare for it. Think about how you can respond uh, better instead of getting so worked up over something that's just not that important. Does that make sense? It absolutely does, Dr. Comer. And I just I think that's a good place to end the conversation and gives us a, a good mindset as we move into this holiday season. I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast and wish you uh, happy holidays this year. Happy holidays to you and everybody at MGMA. It's just a pleasure working with you guys. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Mindful Medicine. Thanks to our guest, Moej Lali and Dr. Jeff Comer. We also want to thank Zoll Data Systems for sponsoring this week's show. The Zoll AR Boost Solution Suite increases revenue from payers and patients in compliance with the No Surprises Act, while reducing front-end workload and freeing up staff for higher-value activities. Visit zoldata.com slash ARBoost to learn how you can ensure no payments are left on the table. And if you'd like to receive additional tools and resources related to workplace stress management, email us at podcast at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Thanks again for taking time to listen to MGMA's Mindful Medicine.